As many of you know, there's a lot of work that goes into planning a wedding. You gotta choose colors and pick out the clothes, there's flowers, you gotta have a date, a time, a place, pick your guests, send out invitations. It's a lot to keep track of and it can get very stressful and tedious. But my favorite part of the wedding planning process was the cake tasting. It's like a piece of the coming wedding feast travels through time and you get to experience it right now. Sabbath is kind of like that. It's a, a much smaller piece of the much larger rest that we're promised by God. And observing the Sabbath isn't only enjoyable because of the seventh day rest that we experience, it's also an enactment of that ultimate rest that is to come. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Do you remember when that Sabbath command was given to the Israelites? It was when they were in an in-between place. They were out of slavery in Egypt, but they hadn't yet been led into the promised land. They were, they were still in the wilderness. The Sabbath was given as a part of a healthy God-acknowledging way of life, but it was also given as a foretaste of the fulfillment of God's promise to his people. And there's kind of a connection here, too, between uh, that and us observing the communion meal each week. I have my, my naan from Costco, and I drink my sweet, tasty grape juice, but it's not about the elements themselves. Observing this meal points us to a much greater feast at the table of the Lord that we're invited to by Jesus Christ. And so back to the Sabbath. With varying degrees of consistency, God's people kept the Sabbath throughout the generations, and they were anticipating the coming rest that God promised. And there might even have been some times when they, they seem to have arrived at that promised rest, maybe when they were in the land of Canaan or under the rule of David or Solomon. But all of these, these kingdoms, these periods, these dynasties would fall, and true and lasting peace was always still on the horizon. And so Jesus eventually comes along and he says, hey, you know that peace that you've been waiting for? That peace that you've been getting a taste of every Sabbath? It's close. This is what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that a great offer? This passage is so refreshing. It has blessed so many people. It's not in Mark or Luke or John, but I'm so glad that Matthew's gospel remembers these words of hope. They just, they kind of just calm your spirit to hear them. I will give you rest. Man, we need that. But Jesus uses a kind of interesting image here to describe a light burden. He says, it's like a big wooden yoke that sits on your neck. Aren't those things typically pretty heavy, Jesus? But Jesus says, it doesn't have to be. This would have been refreshing to hear because the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees, had a bad habit of requiring a heavy burden for people. Later on in Matthew, Jesus says this about the Pharisees. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Have you ever had to move a heavy couch with somebody? There's always one person on the team that, that is standing on the end and going, hey, you know what? This couch isn't so heavy after all. And you're saying, that's because you're holding the armrest cushion, guy. Get in here and help us with some actual lifting. That's, that's the Pharisees. The Pharisees are like that guy. 
But Jesus' yoke is light because Jesus himself does the heavy lifting. And if we're following Jesus correctly, then the weight on our shoulders should be lighter. We're lighter because we don't hold grudges. We're lighter because we forgive as we have been forgiven. We're lighter because we aren't being suffocated by the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and an insatiable desire for more. We're lighter because we aren't exhausted from running around trying to prove our worthiness or exhausted from running away from God. With Jesus, we can have peace. And he says, take that yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. Man, remember John three sixteen. Whoever believes in Jesus, the Son of God, will not perish but have eternal life. Like the wedding cake samples, a foretaste of what is coming, eternal life. You can have rest now as you anticipate that rest that's still coming. Paul says this, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus knew what the end goal was. He knew that the destination he was inviting people to follow him toward was peace with God, reconciliation, forgiveness, eternal life, that rest for your souls, a blessed assurance of heavenly rest both here in this life and in the life that he offers beyond this one. And the Pharisees didn't seem to understand that. Now, now pay attention here, because the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees is what we're going to use to examine our own views on where we are and where we're going. So, right after Jesus says this, I will give you rest, there's this issue about what you do on the Sabbath. At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For even the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Now remember, the Pharisees were the religious leaders who kept the written law, but they also imposed a lot of their interpretation traditions on the people. It's a lot to keep track of, and it can get very stressful and tedious. So they're quick to write Jesus a ticket for failing to keep the Sabbath rules. But they misunderstand the point of the Sabbath. Jesus reminds the Pharisees of the story from the life of King David. But way back when David and his army ate the consecrated bread, they weren't supposed to eat that, but they still got to eat it. They ate it because they needed to live. They ate to live. And Jesus says, come on, they're breaking off grain heads. That's not work. We're eating to live. And we recall that whole Sabbath made for man and not man for the Sabbath thing. Next, the heavy burden of the Pharisees is revealed in an even bigger way. 
Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Well, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Whoa! Because of this disagreement, they start plotting how they're going to kill Jesus. That's a pretty extreme reaction to what just happened here. But it's not because he's breaking the rules, and it's not because they disagree on how to apply the law. It's because Jesus says that he is Lord of the Sabbath. This is pure blasphemy, plain and simple. The highest offense against the one true God, saying that your actions are the actions of God. Plus, he's dangling this light yoke in front of our youth in order to corrupt them. This is a really punishable offense, according to the Pharisees. And it's justifiable, too. Unless, that is, what he's saying is true. If Jesus really is the Son of God, then he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is a piece of our ultimate Sabbath rest, transported through time, and he invites us to experience it now. This would have been really hard to believe at the time for a group of people who had never had Christmas, who had never been to church, never read the Bible. You had to decide whether or not it was true as it was happening. And his incredibly insightful teachings and Jesus' miraculous healings, his resurrection from the dead after being crucified, made some people think, you know what, yeah, I think he is the Son of God. I believe it's true. And I believe it's true today. And so I'm interested in following Jesus. I'm interested in this lighter burden that he offers. But what does this look like in my life? Well, think about the difference between Jesus and the easy yoke that leads to eternal rest in contrast with the heavy burden of the Pharisees, whom Jesus called blind guides, who were leading people actually away from God. Jesus' life and teaching was consistent with the eternal rest that he was leading people toward. And that consistency is important. I'll ask you the question that I asked you to consider a few weeks ago. Will the path that you're on now get you where you actually want to be? Or another way of putting this is, is the cake you're tasting now going to be the same kind of cake they're serving at the wedding feast? Ask yourself this. Does my pace of life, does my outlook on life, my impact on other people's lives reflect the eternal rest that I hope to find in God? Am I joyfully expressing the hope that I have in Jesus Christ? Does the way that I respond to stressful events reflect the confidence that I say I have in eternal life and salvation in Christ? And do I bring a non-anxious presence with me when I encounter people? Am I actively bringing peace into anyone's life? Those are good questions to examine yourself with. I don't know what's going to happen in 2021. Maybe the vaccines will get us closer to the way things were. Maybe some of the changes that we've seen in 2020 are here to stay. Maybe, you don't think about this very much, maybe it'll be an even harder and crazier year than 2020. People talk so much smack about how bad 2020 was. It's like we haven't even considered the fact that maybe we'll look back in eight months and go, man, I wish it was 2020 again. Can you imagine that? But the point is, I don't know. It's a lot to keep track of, and it can get very stressful and tedious. But 
Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I hope that you will find some time here at the end of this year to rest, to Sabbath, to establish some healthy spiritual rhythms in your household, and to reflect on how to let Jesus do the heavy lifting in your life. So I want to end with just a few practical suggestions. One, practice Sabbath. Turn off your phone. Take a whole day to rest and worship and play. Give it a try. If your calendar is too full, then schedule some rest in your week. I've had several people throughout this short series, The Gift of Rest, say, Hey, Jacob, you know what? I rested this week. And you know what? It helped. It's amazing. It actually worked. Sometimes the thing that will help the most is the simple thing that we've overlooked. Which then brings me to my next suggestion. Take care of your body. I call this checking your gauges sometimes. If you're stressed or you're irritable, stop and ask yourself, did I get enough sleep last night? Have I eaten anything today? Have I been exercising? Have I, have I gotten up from my screen in the last few hours? I heard Megan Van Grunen say, sometimes the holiest thing you can do in your day is eat a snack and take a nap. Maybe start there. It might be a simple fix. And finally, this might be a great season, this, this week between Christmas and New Year's, is going to be a good time to strengthen the discipline of prayer in your life. You might spend some intentional moments in solitude with God in the next couple days. Start your day out with a cup of coffee and a quiet location. Leave your phone in another room and just chill with the Lord. It's so restful. It's so refreshing. You might also want to make time to pray with your spouse. Uh, when I do premarital counseling with couples, I always leave the room at some point and I tell them, you guys pray for each other now. And I do this because I know that that might be the only time in their busy week that they're going to do that. Lisa and I pray regularly with our kids, uh, like at the dinner table and, you know, before school starts. But rarely is it just the two of us. That's the thing, praying with just me and Lisa gets crowded out of our schedule quickly. Sometimes the person you're closest to is the, the relationship you neglect. So maybe take a look at that. And in January, we as a church, we're all going to pray through the Psalms together. We're going to do five Psalms a day. You could read them the first thing in the morning or read one of the five throughout your day. And this will definitely strengthen your prayer life. But whether it's taking a Sabbath, taking a nap, or taking time to pray, I hope that you experience the kind of rest that Jesus invites us to. The kind of rest that blesses us now and gives us joy as we anticipate the rest to come. Personally, I'm planning on taking my own advice. I started a three-week vacation on Christmas Eve, and so you probably won't see me again until Martin Luther King weekend, or after the, that. But uh, I'm excited for what the coming year holds. In January, you're going to get to hear some great lessons by some of my favorite preachers, some of the folks you've heard before, some of them you haven't. Uh, Bryce Smith, Kyle Sapp, Josh Parrish, and Woody Square are going to bless us with their teachings that will point us to Jesus. So looking forward to that. If I come back from my vacation with lots of enthusiasm and vigor, then you'll know that the rest took. My vacation worked. If I come back feeling tired and stressed and I stress all of you out, then you might have to just send me away and, and I'll try it again. <laughs> but I, I hope that I'll find rest and I hope that you will as well. I want to end this morning by praying the prayer that comes from Psalms 62. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O oh, my people, trust in him at all times. 
Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge.